Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Owls AmeriCast. It seems like just yesterday we were celebrating our 50th episode, but we're 18 past that. And we're probably one away from the last of the season, if you can believe that. I am your host for the evening, your Ohio Owl, Evan Skilleter, drinking a nice tall glass of water because today has been crazy and I need some hydration. We have two New York Owls with us tonight. First in Manhattan is James. Jamesy, welcome. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, well, it's a Friday night, Evan, so uh, so I, I thought I'd go for something with good bri- good vibration. So I'm drinking an Alewife uh, double IPA uh, called Le Poulin Vibrations, which for some reason when I'm looking at it, it starts to make me think of Yost the Hukai, and I don't know why that why that's the case. Apparently it's pungent, it's tropical, and it's got rhythm. Um, yeah. Not it's, like uh, it's Friday Yost night. Not at all, then, because I mean, he's not... Uh, <laughs> no rhythm, I assume. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably entirely accurate. I've got to say, it's it's, it's a week. It's a week now, seven calendar days uh, ago that I was in Sheffield having a, a really really good night out um, in a whole bunch of new bars that I didn't know existed a week ago. So I feel like I've come down a little bit to be sat back in my closet with a local beer. But um, <laughs> yeah, good vibrations reside in New York City. And then, sort of in New York, in New Jersey, close enough to be dangerous. It's Patty Jones. And Patty, what are you drinking tonight? Good evening, mate. How you doing? Uh, I am still on my uh, uh, bullet rye whiskey because I haven't had the chance to go to the shop and get some beer. So, chin chin. Excellent. Well, we've got quite the agenda for you tonight. The playoff dream is finally over. And we'll review that 3-3 draw against Preston. We'll talk about what that means for the squad. Chat about what's next for Steve Bruce and the club we love so much. In Wednesday news this week, we have a player and goal of the year winner to discuss. We'll talk about a dispatch from American soccer that popped up in the last couple of days that we're all pretty excited about, including a name that you'll be familiar with. And then we will preview QPR. So we'll get right to it, starting with Preston, which seems like years ago at this point, but really less than seven days prior to this recording. We can talk about the lineup if you want, but it's really only one thing worth bringing up, and that's Kieran Lee, James. I want to tell you, Evan, I want to tell you about a boy. I want to tell you about a boy who can do anything, and a boy whose touch is golden. Um, And he comes from Oldham. Kieran Lee, Kieran Lee, Kieran Lee. Honestly, I, I I think seeing his name on the team sheet, albeit as a substitute, was genuinely one of my highlights of the season this year. Um, not so much because I think necessarily that you know everything's going to be perfect and he's going to come back and like be the Kieran Lee of old, but I'm just so delighted to see him back playing football and you know ready potentially to play Championship level football again. You know whether it's for Wednesday or for someone else. That that guy has got so much talent in his. Uh, you know, in one metatarsal, let alone his whole uh, his whole kind of reconstructed hip, um, that I just I want to see more from him. So I'm I'm so pleased to see him back uh, back playing football again and have him around the Wednesday squad. That was just a, a little fill up towards the end of the season. Amazing. Paddy, were you as excited about James? Yeah, I was so excited. I, I forgot. <laughs> I, I was know. excited about James. Even... No. Yeah, it's just, yeah we, it's, the season's winding down, and so am I, evidently. <laughs> but I was excited about Kieran Lee. Um, so much so, I'd forgotten that song that uh, James just sang. I was I knew the lyrics, but I didn't know the tune to it. You know when you, like, rack your brains about something for a long, long time, and it just wouldn't come to me? <clears throat> then about five minutes before he came on, it like just hit me in the football factory. It's like, yes, I've got the tune. So I was ready to, put, uh, to sing along to uh, Kieran Lee's introduction. Do you g- genuinely, do you didn't remember the song, Paddy? But I remember the lyrics, but they're just, you know, like some kind of brain freeze where the tune just went. So I was like, I was singing it like, well, I was basically speaking it like you were just just then. But I had no idea whether they went up a tone, down tone, what rhythm it was like. I was like, what's going on with my brain? It's been so long. It, it tell, it, it's a microcosm of the last two years, right, that we haven't had any real big, maybe bar that amazing strike against Leeds, kind of early part of last season, that we've not really had any chance to sing that. I, I've told you before, haven't I, that that song is like my 
I think almost my high po- point of Wednesday fandom over the last like probably 15 years since 1993 since the uh, the decline started so like a little story before um for the Wembley playoff final in 2016 so I'm in the UK I'm kind of I got to the Brighton game we qualify for Wembley obviously got to hang around for that but I've got to come back to New York for work so I had to fly back from Manchester like the I don't know four days before I'm going through security and I'm literally dancing and singing the Kieran Lee song and this this Mancunian security guard basically taps me on the shoulder and goes, what sort of maniac are you? You're not getting on the plane. Um, so I had to explain to him just how bloody happy I was about Wednesday being the player final <laughs> and tell him about Kieran Lee, this incredible God's gift of a footballer who's from Oldham. And then he goes, oh, yeah, 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 I remember him. He was in the Manchester United Youth team. Da, 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 da. Anyway, we just, we just basically chatted Kieran Lee for about half an hour in Manchester Airport and, uh, and I was buzzing. I was buzzing, and it was all about Kieran Lee. What a guy. That's a nice story, though. Wait, you were, waiting. You were walking around the airport just singing this song on your own? Because oh, I was travelling on my own. We'd just qualified for the playoff final. The sun was shining. I was heading into Manchester Airport. And, yeah, I was just I was singing out loud the Kieran Lee song <laughs> and kind of just doing little twirls. It was, uh, it was just one of those very happy moments in life, you know? Very nice. Okay, so the last time I'll request it. Someone please sing this song. Go on, James. You first take up for this. I want to tell you, I think I ought to, about a boy who could do anything. His touch is gold and he comes from Oldham. Kieran Lee, Kieran Lee, Kieran Lee. There you go. How about that? Beautiful. There's a lot of uh, yeah, we have our intro song. song. Yeah, intro song for the week. <laughs> See? So that's great. There's a reason, Evan, why you do the songs, right? Well, honestly, I think after hearing your golden voice, we uh, might need to shift some of that content. Anyway, a dominant first half for Preston. And quite frustrating, honestly. 2-0 two, two down. And, um, Patty, is that one of the... I don't want to call it the worst half of football we played, but... Maybe one of the more frustrating ones. It was pretty bad. Um, it wasn't the worst, though. Um, I just, it was a bit surprising to me because we'd been. It, it was not a typical Steve Bruce performance. So it, it just kind of felt like their heads had finally dropped after battling so hard um, for the past uh, three months, pretty much. It felt like, I think, the uh, it was a, a step too far for them to continue this playoff run. And it was a, obviously it was a very, very slim uh, playoff hope we had left at the beginning of this game, but it didn't feel like they had the uh, the legs for it at the end of the day, uh, or the brains. So yeah, that first half was laboured. Um, I think there was maybe one good chance we had um, with Fletcher on the left hand side, put a good shot in after a nice Bannon pass. But other than that, it was pretty miserable. And Preston were uh, had the tails up. I think it was their last home. Um, last home game of the season so they wanted to put on a, a good show for their fans who's to be fair to Preston they've had a fantastic season uh, a bad few games uh, coming into this uh, but clearly that didn't show uh, in that first half um, I thought they were by far the better team uh, and what was interesting to me was uh, going 2-0 down at half time was how would how would the team react to this uh, would, are we giving up on the season would Bruce still be able to squeeze something out of them Um and how they re- react in the second half. And uh, thankfully, as we're going to discuss, it, it was positive. So um, we haven't lost all hope just yet. You know, it's, it's interesting because there was... Um, you, we should probably compare kind of like, you know, comments that people were making at halftime versus the comments that people were making at full-time. But at halftime, it was kind of like... It was almost like like you said, that either kind of the hope of being extinguished or they kind of, they'd taken a foot off the gas or, or just kind of... You, it was almost like perhaps the conversations had already happened around who's going to be retained and who's heading out the door in the summer. It just didn't feel like a team that was really committed anymore, quite in the way that it was. And yet, the second half totally changed that. And we'll 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 talk about how in a second. But the the comment that I thought was really interesting, I think it was Alex Neal, the Preston manager, said that you know he could he and the Preston team could hear Steve Bruce tearing strips off the Wednesday players <laughs> across the corridor and in their dressing room. And, you know, if you watch a Steve Bruce press conference, let's be honest, he's softly spoken. He's not exactly a shouty, shouty guy. Um, and I think Bruce himself said it was like the first time that he's actually lost his temper since he's been at Wednesday. Um, and for the simple reason, that performance wasn't up to standard, right? It, you know, the first half was, 
it was kind of all the things that plagued us in the first first uh, half of the season. It was like a microcosm of 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 all the things that were wrong under Yoss. You know, kind of lazy misplaced passes, a back four that didn't feel coordinated, a goalkeeper that felt detached from said back four, uh, midfield not really combative enough. Um, and we kind of we let Preston come at us and 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 served up our own consequences, right? You know, one one sloppy goal and one known goal. So, yeah, I think it was entirely justified to have a go, but the reaction is really interesting, really interesting when you when you think about the way that, you know, he, he was able to then motivate a very different performance in the second half. Before we go into the second half, can we just um, have a moment uh, and recognise probably one of the funniest goals that we've conceded uh, all season? I can't think of a more comical goal than their second one. Because basically... Hector manages to nutmeg himself, right? Because it wasn't it wasn't necessarily going on through his legs until he <clears> kind of back heeled it through his own legs, and then I have to this day no idea what Tom Lee is actually doing. But he's he goes to head the ball, obviously forward. Is that a general comment? Buddy, or are you <laughs> no, just specifically for this moment. I think he's had a very good second half of the season, Tom Lee. I was pretty down on him for most of the first half, but fair play, he's uh, been steady for most of the second half. But um, there's no one around him. The other person around him is Cameron Dawson. So it's an unchallenged header um, after Hector makes himself. And it goes backwards somehow. Dawson misses it. And it's an own goal. It was hilarious. I mean, at the time, it didn't find it very hilarious. Um, but looking back, after it's 3-3, it's, uh, it is a sight to behold. Historically, we specialise in those goals. You know, the complete <laughs> clangers where our defence managed to completely, you know, kick each other and fall on top of each other in order to contribute to a ridiculous goal. Circa 1991 <clears throat> in the fall against Manchester United. There's a, there's a crap football video that circulates around the internet doing that. Oh, yeah, that's, um, that's great. I, I t- the kind of serious point about it, though, the kind of the commonality for, I think, both goals, actually, the, the second goal in particular, is the absolutely obvious lack of communication between goalkeeper and centre-back. So it is not clear, you know, whether Dawson calls for that ball and and Lee's ignores him, or whether there's no call and therefore Lee's tries to, you know, nod it. Well, I don't know where he's trying to nod it to because it's pretty pathetically into the goal. But um, it, those mistakes were rife in the first half of the season, right? And they were particularly rife last season. And there's a commonality. I, I, I hate to say it. It is it is the goalkeeper that's in net. Um, as opposed to necessarily the personnel who are in the back four. And um, um, I, what I felt the, the first half really showed is regardless of the quality of Cameron Dawson as, as an individual goalkeeper, his communication with his back four leaves us open to trouble um, relative to the way in which Kieran Westward organises both himself and the back four. Um, and that you know, maybe, maybe it's just a little hint of things to come um, depending on decisions that are made in the close season. Well, let's talk about the second half then. Um, you know, Bannon, Bannon's goal was was nice, Patty. <laughs> it was nice. You know, there was a good angle of this goal, um, which showed how many people were in front of him, and he didn't have a lot of space to put it. And um, fair play, he just whacks it in the top corner where no one was. And I was looking at the uh, stats for Bannon. You know, um, can you guess the most amount of goals he's scored in the seat? This is his fourth full season in, uh, Wednesday. What's the most goals he's scored? In a Wednesday shirt. What, in any one season? In any one season, yeah. Uh, seven. Ten. Oof, you're way off. It's uh, the most league goals has been uh, two before this week this season. Uh, I think total goals is three in a season. So he has wow. beaten the most league goals he's scored in a season this season because he got three league goals. And three total goals this year too. So he's equaled his um, his best haul, and those two goals have come in the last two games, or three games at least. So yeah, not a prolific scorer, um, and it's nice to see him uh, get a few in in the last few weeks. So, goal banner. I, I mean that that just actually says a lot because if you look at the quality of the finishes when he does get it right, you know that absolute screamer that's in the goal of the season uh, video that's now gone completely viral across the entire internet thanks to every. Um, social media soccer outlet um, in the world. Yeah, well, you know. Well done, by Wednesday, the way, yeah. great, great idea from Sheffield Wednesday uh, for oh, out a goal of the season, a goal of the season video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it was wonderful. very original. I thought it's, it's like they came up with the concept without any prompting from any fan groups uh, in the previous season. Well, I won't be sarcastic, and I will say I'm glad I could add some inspiration for for the club to actually do something good on social media. <laughs> 
Bravo! <laughs> I think we. I think it's probably set, fair to say that a set of even better goals than we had last season, um, and arguably the benefit of an official club uh, hashtag um, meant that it took off in a way that our video didn't quite. But but theirs did not have as good a soundtrack. Hey, so. our video got shitloads of views. I think we were, we were pretty good actually, um, and I think our, our our quality of production was better too. Evan, like say that lovely Owls America spinning logo that you you made, and also the uh, lightning seeds, way better. Yeah, like said, th- thank you. I felt the soundtrack, really good was, soundtrack was right up there, as we've already proved on the pod this week. Um, Evan is the master of musical um, Wednesday connections. Anyway, Barry Bannon scores good goals. Barry Bannon should score more good goals. Um, and it turns out that if we have people who can do uh, ridiculous things like, um, I think it was Fletcher that backheeled the ball to him <laughs> into his path, right? Um, beautiful setup. He just blasts it into the corner and, um, and game on, right? And then things got really spicy. Very spicy, um, Sp- but also yeah, spicy in defence, um, which wasn't great because um, it just switched off again, didn't it? So you get a little bit glimmer of hope, and you you, you think that the Bruce halftime hairdryer has uh, worked wonders, and then they go on the other end, and um, I just felt it was just all too easy. First of all, the defence is all over the place. There's no line there, um, and then again, Dawson not commanding his line, just kind of stutters his way out half halfway, and it's just too easy past him. Um, so it was really disappointing. At that point, I thought it was going to be like 5-1-6-1 one, one at that point because I just thought it would go back to how it was in the first half. So um, I was pleasantly surprised that, again, the saviour of Sheffield Wednesday comes on the pitch. <laughs> Do we have to call him that? Is, is that like a legal legal obligation? Now? It's trademarked hey, listen, by Lord Hilton. Listen, I, I, I do want... Yeah, that's a good question, James. And I think it, <clears throat> it is fair to call him that because last year... At the end of the year, I really do think that in some way or another, he helped maybe not save the season. Maybe the season wasn't dead, but he at least saved uh, our, what should I say, our, our attitude. Pride, he saved He saved our... He saved our pride. Our pride is, is probably the best way to put it, yes. Yeah, he's not done shag all sins, apart from the <laughs> header. Um <laughs> against whoever it was you know with uh with pinpoint precision anyway um but it earned him a contract and therefore he was there to come off the bench against preston at 3-1 down and remarkably turn the game it was a great um yeah. assist for um forestieri's first goal wasn't it so it was a nice little like weighted corner uh, weighted cross sorry and um surprisingly a lovely little flicked header from uh Forest Yeah, which we don't see a lot of him doing, obviously, but um, it's nice to know that he's got a head as well as two feet. So, for me, Dave has done this quite a lot this season. I know he's not had the same goal uh, impact um, that he had at the end of last season, but to throw him on at the end of a game, twenty minutes to go, it just it just messes up people's heads. They don't they don't know how to um, deal with him, and he just does, people don't know what to do with him, right? Because he can he can have a good touch. Um, he can hold the ball. He can fight players, and yes, he makes mistakes. Yes, he's, he's ungainly the way he moves around. But I think Bruce is, sees him as a kind of good substitute. And I think he'll probably stick around. Well, obviously till the end of his contract, which I think is in a year's time. Um, but for me, he was the game changer uh, on, on that game, and uh, the his actual goal was a good example of his strengths, right? Because he's is beating two people there. There's two defenders around him. He's held off one with one arm, and the other guy behind the other defender is just trying to get to it, and someone might should beat him too. He's just... I'm watching Game of Thrones season one. He's a bit like that Carl Drago guy, right? He's just big, strong, a bit dumb, but he can't help but love him. By the way, don't, no spoilers. I'm in season one of Game of Thrones. If Carl Drago turns out to be like a really like horrible person, which he's not great, I know, but come on. The similarities are there between Carl Drogo and Natty New right? It's not been a good week for the Dothraki horde, Paddy. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd, I'd move swiftly. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. Um, all, all I'm going to say is that I, um, you know, Carl Drogo likes to wander around with like basically a, you know, a, what basically looks like a, a small, very tight scarf around his midriff. I hope Dave is better, uh, better clothed when he's wandering about Sheffield and doesn't I'm sure just kind some of ladies you know, that would uh, like to see Big Dave in a, a kind of. Uh, Semi-naked, Cal Dorgo kind of costume. 
I really only know one um, one lady that would be semi interested in that. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, on the topic of Dave, I, I do think that he's he's a great sub, a great guy to come on for for fifteen to twenty minutes, maybe even less. He just he adds such a, a strange dynamic, doesn't he? Like <coughs> he, he comes in and you think, okay, target man, gonna stand in front of the goal, scoop up some um, some rebounds, some you see tap ins, but. All of a sudden, you, you're a tired defender. You see him with the ball, and maybe you know, maybe sleep a little bit. You're back on your heels, uh, taking a break, and all of a sudden, he makes a move and he's past you and your buddy. And all of a sudden, he's in front of goal all alone. Um, you know, I, I agree. I agree that that Bruce should keep him around as a, a solid substitute. But we, he kind of has to now, doesn't he, with that contract he just signed? So well, he's um, he's got a, he's got a contract to the end of next season. But but yeah, fair play. You know, he came on, he changed the game. It, it, it totally shifted the dynamic and at 3-3 we were kind of we were thundering forward and he kind of felt like it was going to be this is going to be the comeback of all comebacks you know this is this is going to be brilliant we're going to end the season on high the playoffs are still going to be going on and then Dom Ayofa decided that he was going to see the red mist (laughs) yeah how, how about that red card every single day of the week that's a red card I mean I think he starts his lunge around the 18-yard box, and it goes about 20 yards before he gets collides with the guy. Uh, I, I actually like cowered, like watching the DB going, "Oh God!" <laughs> um, yeah, um, definitely a red card. But then, the new savior, the man, the myth, the legend, Kieran Lee comes on to a who who wrote this agenda? <laughs> Why? <laughs> To a rapturous reception. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm, I was being uh, very. Um, I don't know. It's a great word. Wordy. It's just not one that I've ever. I don't. I don't think I've ever used it in just a normal conversation. It's well done. Well, there you go. Rapturous is entirely fair, though. I mean, there were like it is. Yeah, sure. There were the best part of five thousand Wednesday nights there, and you know, my my giddy kippery excitement at the top end of the show is is just like a, a microcosm of just how bloody excited they were, right? But if that was, if that was just like the third instance of me using the word microcosm on this podcast this week, if that was just a small com- component of how excited the Wednesday fans were, the most excited person on the planet at that moment was Kieran Lee. Have you seen the picture of him as he goes on the pitch? The yeah. smile on his face. Yeah, and then the just, look with Bruce Lee holding his, his face. It's, it's, I mean, Bruce well, Lee's been there for two months, right? And he knows how how big the deal this is. So it's uh, he just, just I think he's got such good skills, like man to man skills. Um, and you can see that. Uh, and for me, I really hope that Kieran Lee gets another appearance at the weekend too. Kind of a, I hope it's not a send off. I hope it's just a kind of appreciation for what he's done for us since he's been at the club. Uh, and maybe it can continue even longer. But um, that's down to the uh, Steve Bruce and negotiations uh, in the summertime. Yeah, so welcome on get... to like I retain this right. But um, but yeah, it was a lovely moment. I agree. The man management was brilliant. He actually looks sharp. Let's, too, let's right? get into Steve Bruce. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that. No, I think I think he looked pretty sharp. His, his touch was there. He uh, made a few nice little passes. He did a few like little pass and run type things. It, it, it looked like he hadn't missed a beat. And oh, it was like a very small cameo, but I was pretty excited to see what he had uh, what he had to do. And he didn't seem to uh, look like he'd been out of <laughs> out for two years almost. He looked pretty fresh. Yeah. I think it's a really good point, and the fact the fact that he was only on the pitch for about ten minutes. There were three instances that I can point to Kieran Lee making an important intervention. At one point, he's like right back in our box, making a last ditch tackle, and then clearing his lines in a in a really kind of uh, effective way, finding a Wednesday player at the pitch. Two minutes later, he crop, and that's like playing left back. Then he crops up on the right wing, and he puts in a really scintillating cross that we we almost uh, get something out of the back end of. Um, and the next thing you know, he's in that melee in the box that we. You know, frankly, we should have won from. We should have won that game four three with ten men. If, and I'm, I'm still not sure if it's him or this guy called Liam Palmer, who who is a sharp shooter, uh, who uh, who kind of with their back to goal managed to blaze it over the bar. But, um, you know, like you say, Paddy, I mean, like that's what we rave about Kieran Lee. Right, he's the box to box midfielder. He's as good in defence as he is in attack. He kind of loses players in the mystique of being able to move across the pitch like a ghost, and it, and he was doing it. Doing it in his first appearance back after whatever it is, 18 months. Brilliant. So let's move into, well, I, I know I, I know we have a, a match left, but let's move into some 
maybe some off-season priorities for Brucey. There's no playoffs. We know we're going to be back in the championship next year. So, James, you go first. What are some some priorities you see for uh, for the club over the summer? Um, gosh, Evan, you kind of talk about going from the sublime to the uh, the serious, right? I'm. It's hard to think of a summer that's probably been more important for Wednesday in a long time, um, and I include, you know, quite consciously in that the kind of the reactions to the playoff final, to the, the missing out against Huddersfield, to, to the, you know, um, summers after promotion from from League One, and for the simple <clears throat> reason that in Steve Bruce, I think we have a manager who, you know, most people would agree is certainly capable of getting us out of the championship. Um, we have a squad right now that's demonstrated that it's capable of performing at the top end of the championship. I mean, you know, since Christmas, we've been one of the top four teams in the championship. So, you know, arguably you keep the bulk of that together and you've got a, a, as good a chance of, of being at the um, at the top end of things next season as anyone. And then you've got the issue of profit and sustainability and, and kind of this, this question of, you know, what do Wednesday actually have to do to balance the books, which increasingly is, is a very difficult... Um, landscape to travel because we don't know the full extent of exactly how the regulations are being set and what offsets are allowable and you know all the things what is inarguable is we've got a lot of players coming to the end of the contract we've got some very high earners some of whom are probably not contributing as much as they should who need to be moved on and Bruce needs to create some space for himself to be able to make the type of shrewd acquisitions that he's made at other clubs um, and he's already demonstrated with the players that he's brought in on loan that, that he can make at Wednesday that will actually really add something to this squad so I, I, I'm i excited about the summer but uh, there, there are some fundamental decisions right I mean the, the the question around goalkeeper and well you know we already know that Kieran Westwood has been a new contract will he take that contract or will we be on the hunt for a new goalkeeper because I've already said it's not Cameron Dawson it's not Joe Wildsmith um centre-back you've got to have a commanding centre-back in there can we find a way to keep Michael Hector at the club or are we are we out looking for somebody else Gary Cahill um, <laughs> Gary Cahill we'll come on to that um you know the midfield dynamic is still not right um, and I think, you know, if you look at Bruce teams pre-Wednesday, the composition of Wednesday's midfield doesn't look like a Bruce team yet. You know, I think there's going to be a more commanding central midfielder in there. Uh, he needs more pace on the wings, no question. And then this dynamic of our seven plus strikers, some of whom, you know, definitely aren't going to be here next year. It, it's kind of almost anybody's guess what kind of um, composition of team is going to be in place at the end of the summer. But it's going to be fascinating to see how he goes about this task. Paddy, you have anything to to add? Any anything on the wish list? I mean, James has ticked off a lot of the uh, micro priorities there, and and I'd reiterate signing Westwood and and Hector is the is the top two for me. Um, the only other thing I I would say is obviously for him personally and and DC, it's about understanding where they stand and the club stands on the profit sustainability list, right? So um, making sure that we're not going to get put under an embargo. Anything that we do do is in accordance with what the FL says is right, um, and hopefully do some good wheeling and dealing uh, to leave us in a stronger squad than we are in right now. It's uh, like I say, it's it's a massive task, um, but for me the positives out of this is we've got a good core team, uh, a good first eleven, um, and I would say that the ne- the other priority is to keep those guys fit. Uh, and if you can find the answer to what's causing these injuries in the next few months too, then I think we'll be uh, giving him the key of the city because it, that's the thing that's... Uh, I mean, if you look at the stats. Um, I said I wasn't going to mention United in this podcast, but look at the stats of uh, how many starters uh, United have had all season. Nine of their first 11 they've had for pretty much the entire season. And that counts for a lot. We haven't had that to count on for four or five years now. If we had our first eleven fit, we could be top two, top six easily. Yeah, so. you you really hit on an important trend, actually, buddy. I mean, we'll all we'll all get distracted by the player transactions and, and movements, and, and we'll probably kind of come back next week and maybe we'll kind of go player by player and we'll talk about who we think should be moved in, who should who should move out. Um, but actually, keeping the squad fit is arguably the biggest difference between seasons gone and the seasons to come and I, I know that's a fixation for Bruce I think it's uh, it's a really astute observation that that could make the difference it's certainly the difference between the top two this year and the rest of the championship or the top three arguably if you include Leeds any other business 
before we move on to some Wednesday news. I'll go to you. All right. So we will move straight into Wednesday news. Kind of a probably a shorter podcast, so we won't take a little break. We go right into it. And Fessy's goal against Norwich has been named goal of the year. Obviously a big pool of goals to choose from. Any objections to this one? I know personally for me, no. Um, whenever a goal from the championship gets on ESPN's uh top 10 as the number one play of the day uh, i think it it deserves that kind of recognition well i called it last week didn't i um if um if anyone was listening last week so i said that adam reach's goal against leeds would should be the deserved goal of the month uh goal of the year sorry uh but what would get it would be forest Gary's goal against norwich and i in, in my petulance i said that it would be down to the emotion that wednesday fans have for forest Gary. And what that meant uh, as it went in, uh, rather than just the technical skill of both goals going in. I think still that Adam Reach is, is technically better than Forestieri's. This is like deja vu to my uh, my um, drinks in Sheffield last weekend because that's <laughs> that's exactly the debate that we were having over beers last Friday night. So um, uh, the the person in question is is a reasonably qualified person to talk about it. Is the uh, the head sports writer of the staff for Sheffield Wednesday, Dom Alston, who uh, who was incredulous at my suggestion. Clang! That, uh, name dropping there, James. Name wow. dropping. Boom. <laughs> there you go. So Dom was uh, was exceptionally um, uh, taken aback when I suggested the Forestieri should win goal of the season. And he, he was fully on board with, uh, with Team Paddy in terms of um, Adam Reach's goal against Leeds. All I've got to say is I think under pressure, the cleanness of that hit from Forestieri from range and the power of that shot is unbelievable. Adam Reach, you kind of almost expect it. I don't mean that to sound daft, but the goalkeeper's a bit out of his out of his area, and he kind of he knows the weight of the ball, and it's falling kindly for him. It's technically brilliant, but I, I just some something about Forestieri just stirs the passions in a way that Reaches doesn't quite get there, even though it was against Leeds. Um, but look, I mean, I, as I think everyone's pointed out, you know, who's been sharing the video, right? What an incredible season for outrageous league of goals for Sheffield Wednesday. We will probably never see this season's quality of goals again. So, um, you know, in one in one forty six game season, so pretty amazing. So, Evan, settle this. Who wins, Fessy or Reach? Uh, I'm on Team James. I I think it's just yeah. At that moment. It, you know the goalkeeper. Uh, James said it best. Goalkeeper uh, for that Leeds goal was a little bit out of position, and um, obviously it took a good strike. But but Fessy just to turn and, and shoot the way he did from that angle for the ball to to enter the goal where it did in the top left was just phenomenal. Um, but I, I would have been good with with either one. So um, then we move on to Player of the Year and. Michael Hector, a player that isn't even ours, is our player of the year. Now, the begs the question, and I think someone posed it on Twitter, and I didn't see the answer. How many times, or I guess in recent memory, have we had a lone player uh, as player of the year? I think you need a, a stats-based podcast to answer a question like that. Evan. Um, <laughs> Oh, wait, are, you, are, you, are you withholding if, the information for your own there, podcast? If, <laughs> if only there was a podcast, uh, Sheffield Wednesday centered uh, about just stats. Yeah, I, th- I think I think if you could find one, just fi- find their handle on Twitter and send them a question, and, and maybe they'll cover it on their next monthly pod. Um, I've got no buggering idea. To be honest. I'm desperately trying to think of like a player who we converted after having on loan into a permanent signing. Um, no, pass. I feel like Bannon was on loan to begin with, but he wasn't, was he? He was like a free agent. So yeah, he was a free really agent. Um, Connor Wickham, maybe? No, he only played like 10 games, 12 games, didn't he? Yeah, yeah but he only scored like 11 goals. <laughs> All right, that's probably a good shot in that season for him to be player of the season, but still, I don't think he did get player of the season. I don't, Send I don't, it I, to I, Al's about stat, Evan. We'll get an answer for you. Yeah. Uh, or, if you know the answer, tweet uh, at Al's I Americas. <laughs> Um, but is, uh, is is Hector deserving of that, Patty? Absolutely. Uh, I said it last week. 
the only reason for him not to get this if there was some kind of lone player bias in the fan base. Uh, and clearly there wasn't. Everyone loves him. They've all seen him be the most consistent uh, player over the course of the season. Even in Yossa's troubled defensive times, he still stood out uh, above the rest. Yes, he's got a few errors in him. It's probably why he's not a regular at Chelsea rather than uh, playing his trade across Europe in uh, the uh, second divisions and weird teams around there too. So um, Bruce has said in his uh, last uh, press interview that they are going to try and get and try and sign him. He says that it involves negotiating a deal with Chelsea. So in my like. <laughs> In my mind, that means they're going to put an offer in for him, which is ambitious, to say the least. Um, I think we've probably got more chance of him getting another year's loan. Uh, but that's what Bruce said, so um, I'm hopeful that we can pull it off. And he said himself, right, in the, in the Star um, in the Star Awards uh, this week, he said that he wants to stay too, so let's hope uh, we can push this over the line. Okay, I, and I just want to say that I, I've looked it up. And Neil M- Mellor, which Neil is, Mellor, yeah, Mellor. Before the before I began really following closely, he he won Player of the Year. He played thirty three, uh, he had thirty three appearances in the two thousand ten two thousand eleven season and scored thirteen goals. Dark so days. Neil Neil Mellor. <laughs> Would you ever guess that, James? Uh, no, but I think it kind of goes back into the dark days. Although I. I kind of like Neil Miller. He's he's always nice about Wednesday, right? He's kind of gone on to a career in broadcasting, and he crops up, you know, fairly regularly as like a talking head on all matters football. He's always he's always in Wednesday's corner. Um, so yeah, good on Neil Miller. It's obviously because we made him Player of the Season. Well, then I think we won promotion that year as well, uh, 2011-12, right? And then oh, it was 10-11. Yeah, he was the season before. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so. Some other big Wednesday news, and I wish Jeff was here because he seems to really have a keen interest in our youth teams, um, especially, I would say, the, the most out of at least the Owls Americas group. The U18s, the team of the year, the double-winning Young Owls, James. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it feels like this is kind of getting a bit of like a, a habit, right? Having our youth teams being uh, being right at the top end of where they need to be. Um, uh, you know, the kind of serious point is we need to start converting that into some players that just dominate the first team, not just, just flood the first team when a, a guy who's obsessed with mushrooms takes the helm. Um, but no, I mean, it, let's not take anything away. Our under-18s have done an absolutely amazing job this season and played some scintillating football, um, you know, won their, their Northern uh, League, um, I think, outright, won through the playoffs, and then obviously in the final today against Cardiff, uh, a really incredible game. Um, just have, have come out as the, you know, the national champions of the um, of the academy grade that they're, they're all in and, and some very exciting prospects in the team as well. So uh, huge congratulations to them. Um, it's great for Wednesday to continue to be demonstrating just, you know, how good the prospects in our in our academy are. Um, and hats off to the, the staff who are running that, Stephen Haslam in particular. I think it's um, it speaks incredibly highly of the club and of the future of the club. We've got to we've got to convert it to something now, but wonderful for uh, for a team of Wednesday players in Wednesday shirts to be taking home a trophy this season. Andy Holdsworth, that's who the coach for under eighteens is that we were struggling to find out uh, last week. So Haslam is the overall academy director. Andy Holdsworth is the manager of the under eighteens. So congratulations, Andy Holdsworth. Um, and the, it's the guy that's uh, it's not Preslav Borokov, right? This is the Ayad Hamoud. Um, Bulgarian guy, um, something like that. I think Ayad Hamoud. He's the guy that's been firing him with the under 18 this season. So I think there's a new um, Preslav Borokov, which um, Mr. Jeff Paternostro might need to look up because uh, he seems to be outshone this season. Well, doesn't Borokov play for like, the, the, the older team now? He hasn't played much though this season, has he? He's been injured or something. I heard that he was uh, he was being overhyped by a uh, by a kind of uh, prospect <laughs> scout from Connecticut. Oh man! Don't 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 speak poorly of of Jeff's scouting prowess. <laughs> He's I got that's a, pretty good the job. One for thing, that. yeah. The the one thing we can't uh, can't bash 
Jeff for is is scouting prospects. <laughs> um, oh, Bulgarian batsmen, possibly, but apparently not <laughs> Bulgarian strikers. Anyway, move on. So Westwood has been offered a contract. Pudil has not. He's out of here. Um, Patty, after you know, some some news on that front, how are you feeling? I guess obviously we're we we hope and we're excited for Westwood. We we hope he signs. Um, but Poodle's ex, uh, exit, did you expect it? Are you sad, happy, uh, indifferent? I think it's to be expected. And it's it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because he hasn't played a lot of football this season, um, for whatever reason. I think a mixture of um, injury and out of favour. Um, but when he has played for Wednesday, you can never say he hasn't put a shift in. Is is exactly what we uh, thought we were getting in Daniel Poodle when we got from uh, was in Watford the last uh, couple of years at. Everyone of the fans said he's a 7 out of 10 every single game. And that's exactly what we got for Danny Poodle. And that's what you want, consistency at that left-back role. Um, and we've struggled uh, to um, find that consistency since he hasn't been in the team. Um, so for me, Poodle will always be a big part in that playoff uh, run in, I think, 2016 when we got to the final. Uh, he was a massive part of that, uh, that, that team. So... Yes, I'm sad to see him go, but it is time for him to go. He's not played a lot of football. Uh, he's gone a bit, uh, but a massive thank you for his service. He's been a fantastic servant to Sheffield Wednesday, uh, and I wish him all the best in the future. All right, so I don't believe there's been any other football-related news in Sheffield f- this weekend, right? Nope. Nope, absolutely none. Excellent. We'll move on to dispatches from American <laughs> Soccer. First of all, Patty, you you kind of brought it to our attention in the, the WhatsApp chat, but a uh, sweet-looking documentary coming uh, regarding the town of our American Sheffield Wednesday hero. Yeah, so we touched upon this when we chatted with John Harks, just to clang a name drop in there as well. Uh, if you haven't heard that interview with John, then uh, go back to our uh, episode 40-something. Um, anyway, this um, documentary is about Kearney, New Jersey, which is about five miles from where I live. Uh, it's also where my wife works. And it's about uh, the three U.S. national team players that grew up and played soccer in Kearney uh, that went on to, like, shock... World Cup. Um, so obviously those three players are our own John Harks, uh, Tony Miola, and Tab Ramos uh, of the US national team in the 90s. Um, and it's about the uh, town they grew up in, uh, the history behind it, and it's called Soccer Town USA. And the premiere is actually in New York this summer, June 7th, uh, and it's part of the kicking and screening I think kicking and screening, yeah. Kicking and screening soccer Film Festival. I almost got those words out great. Uh, go and find kickingandscreening.com um, and you can book tickets if you're in the area. Uh, if not, hopefully it'll get a release, a wider release, and you'll be able to watch this uh, awesome documentary. Also related to Sheffield Wednesday and New York City is a visit from a Sheffield Wednesday legend who has now moved on to <laughs> a different role with a different club well same role with a different club patty or james either can answer are you going to make your way to the city when joss lou hook guy comes back with fc st Pauli? Oh, bloody well will be yeah absolutely i mean who, who would pass up the opportunity to see a true uh oh fuck um a true disaster in the uh, the form of a previous Sheffield Wednesday manager coming to uh, to play the legendary Cosmos in New York City on uh, on May the twenty third at the uh, the Columbia Stadium. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. There's going to be a bunch of us going up there. Um, I think the big question is how should we approach that opportunity? You know, should we uh, should we salute Yoss for his uh, his you know sterling effort at Wednesday and uh, and chant his name from the stands? Um, should we? Um, should we highlight some of the deficiencies of the Yoslahukai reign and, and possibly maybe take some uh, some good old-fashioned placards or, or maybe sing a few songs about uh, his achievements or lack thereof with Wednesday? Um, should we all don tashes for the event? 
um, or should we politely try and get an interview uh, in which we discuss the uh, the benefits of mushroom-based cuisine? These are fundamental questions um, which need to be answered by the Al's Americast listenership uh, in the next two weeks, really, before we go we go and uh, go and see how Yossi's and Pauli take on the mighty cosmos. I think the biggest question is James Marriott coming over for the big match. Well, being a huge Los Lahuke fan, I think um, it's almost inevitable that he'll turn up for a chance to see his, uh, you know, his, his inspirational legend in uh, in the flesh. I mean, you know, what, what's the difference going over to Hamburg or coming over to New York City? Well, people are more friendly in New York City, I believe. The beer is better. Mm. Much better. Any other business from dispatches or Wednesday news? That game, by the way, is on 23rd of May. Uh, and it's against, yes, the legendary Cosmos, but the legendary Cosmos don't really have a team anymore as they haven't got any money or a league to play in. So who turns out for that side is anyone's best guess. So if Josh Lukai loses to a team that isn't a team, that would probably be the most Josh Lukai thing to do. Uh, and he should probably quit football altogether. Yeah, so it should be known that the last time that Cosmos played an international friendly was 2017, and they defeated Valencia. Uh, <laughs> what? So, yeah. Good was this on FIFA or Football Manager or something? Did like Raul and no, like, George Best life. turn up? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, the undead George Best. You, I thought you said you hadn't been watching uh, Game of Thrones this week, Paddy. <laughs> All right. So we'll move on to perhaps a QPR preview. Does anyone really care? No. No. Paddy? No. No. Not at all. Yeah, we're playing QPR. Look, it's an end of season game. The more interesting thing is I think the uh the question of who actually turns out and who's already on the uh on the flight away from Sheffield, right? Do you think we could see some youth players? Nothing on the line? You're gonna bring bring some, some young kids up? I think the eighteens are gonna be pretty tired, so I don't think they'll see any of those. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um I think we'll see that young lad uh, Kieran Lee at some point. And uh, he'll get uh like I said earlier on, hopefully not his uh, send-off, but hopefully get a good uh, home reception. A rapturous home reception. Oh my god, Evan, I've got ants crawling up my arms now. We're getting fucking invaded, mate. Yeah, so. I've got I've got four or five crawling around me. Um, so, sorry, listeners. Yeah, sorry. We we're, we're, we're both so being invaded drunk. by ants in different parts of the country. Sorry. Um, perhaps uh, perhaps a Preslav Borokov sighting? Has he signed it. a professional contract? It, it is is he, last season, is right? He signed? I, I thought he did. He became like the first Bulgarian player or whatever to, yeah. to sign for the club. So Yeah, he has signed um, a contract. Yeah, well, he's in contention for a spot. So hopefully. <laughs> I tell you what, that QPR game is going to be mighty exciting, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's it's a bit of a wash. It's a dead rubber. Um, you know, Hopefully a few people turn out and have a good afternoon and we play some players and a few people have a good time. And, uh, and then we move on, right? It's time to move on. 7.30 in the morning. Not gonna happen. Oh, is it at 7.30? Yeah. Oh, I, I might not even watch it. <laughs> Sunday I think morning. The, the only, the only, actually, no, hold on. Um, there is one important thing happening on Sunday which we should draw attention to in case any of our listeners are actually at the game, which is that there is a big charity collection at Hillsborough uh, for St. Luke's Hospice, which is a wonderful charitable organisation in Sheffield which does amazing things for uh, families and people who re- require respite and uh, end-of-life care. Um, and uh, they should dip their hands in their pockets and pop in some cash in those buckets or go to the GoFundMe site, which is uh, is gaining some traction on Twitter uh, for various reasons. Anyway, end of. Any meetups, Patty, for QPR? Not technically. Um, again, it's 7.30 on the East Coast, um, 6.30 in New Orleans, so our, our two big ones, obviously 4.30 in uh, the West Coast. Um, so, however, there is the QPR people are meeting up, um, putting it to shame, at the Football Factory in New York. So if you did want to go watch the game at 7.30 in the morning on Sunday, um, it will be on. Um, so go down if you're in town. And also, Patty, do we have a question of the week? We do. Um, I don't think I've even prepared you guys for this, so it's going to be off the bat. Uh, it's again from our friend Stephen Peck. Um, and you might need a little time to think about this, so maybe we can uh, just chat amongst yourself. What are you thinking? So, he, he asks, 
Uh, as we're in end of season wrap up mode, uh, he asks, "What game was your most exciting or disappointing game of the season?" Um, yes, he thanks us for always answering his questions. So thanks, Stephen, first of all for giving me these amazing questions every single week. Um, you can get in touch with us on Owlsamericas at gmail.com if you want to ask a question, or through Twitter, or through Facebook. We do not mind. Um, James, let's. You can take one or the other. The most exciting or the most disappointing game of the season for you? I'll take most disappointing. Um, and I think it's a toss-up between two games, but I'm, I'm going to go with the away performance at Brentford, which was a game I went to um, very early on last uh, in this season, uh, back in August. Um, and we sort of get things just about together for 20 minutes. Then Sam Hutchinson did something daft in the penalty area. They got a penalty, and after that we looked like we were absolute mugs and uh, and Brentford just ran rings around us. The other option was the second half against Norwich when we got our asses handed to ourselves and, and basically like a team in disarray. So, yeah, a couple of very disappointing points in, in Wednesday season amongst uh, several between uh, August and December. Most exciting for me took place November 9th. And that was the first derby match. Uh, had the pleasure of hosting a couple owls. We had uh, actually Stephen. Stephen was here. And it was the first time I got to meet him and actually went out to lunch with him before the match. And it, it was definitely a pleasure. And then uh, Elliot made his way up from Cincinnati. And um, my, my buddy Tyler, who I've converted to a Sheffield Wednesday fan. In fact, he sends me Snapchats all the time of his FIFA career mode. Um He's got Wednesday cruising through the Premier League right now uh, and, and playing some some great Champions League soccer at the moment. But uh, ha- had a group of guys over here, and, and it was really nice, really really exciting. And that's what you know, that's what we're all about here at at Owls Americas. And um, it's good to see you know some of our mission come through in that. And most disappointing, I mean, it, it had to have been. Maybe not one, but maybe a culmination of how we finished uh, the season. Just going from maybe some playoff hopes to uh, um, you know th- the three-one defeat to Villa was was really rough, and the the Leeds the Leeds match on the thirteenth was a little rough as well. So uh, maybe maybe those two. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, also go with a disappointing one. There's a lot of disappointing uh, low lights of the season. But for me, after I can't pinpoint really one moment that got me excited about um, uh, the kind of turnaround or the game at least that turned us around, other than just sacking Josh Lukai, that was pretty exciting. Um, but for me, after the excitement of like getting ourselves into playoff contention, um, the most disappointing uh, game for me was the Leeds game because we didn't show up. Uh, I wouldn't say the Aston Villa game was disappointing. It was absolutely gut-wrenching to lose that game after we deserved to win. Um, but the Leeds game was disappointing because we just we just didn't show it. And um, Leeds looked better than us. And unfortunately, after that, Leeds have gone downhill. So it shows that we could have probably beaten them if we played our best game of football. And we we didn't. Um, so yeah, that's, that's mine. It's very hard to find... Um, I don't know, excitement in one particular game. I think just as soon as uh, the two Steves, or the three Steves turned up, really, um, that's when things start to get exciting. And the fact that we even win with the playoff shout um, at any point this season is remarkable. So uh, I'd like to thank all the Steves, Steve, A, B, and C, um, for giving us some excitement this season. One little shout-out for a uh, for a Paul as well. The, uh, the first half of... Uh... Wednesday against Swansea, where Wednesday were what three 0 up by half time. Ah, yes, absolutely. Which was another first because the first time that I met Evan in person yeah. Um, yeah. in a bedroom in uh, in a hotel in Chicago, which isn't quite as dodgy as it sounds because there were about twenty other people in there as well watching <laughs> the game before uh, Paul Lowen's wedding. So uh, that was a that was a particular highlight. Probably not necessarily a defining moment at Wednesday's season, but cracking first half and a, and a really good fun with uh, with a huge bunch of Wednesdayites. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that does it for episode 68 of Owls Americast. You can find us online at owlsamericas.com. You can email us, as we said, at owlsamericas at gmail.com. 
We're on Twitter and Instagram at Owls Americas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. Our podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, how fast can you run a 5K? <laughs> um, probably not too quickly right now because I'm, I'm tempted to open another account of 8.5% ABV uh, double IPA um, on, a, on a good day with a following wind uh, around 18 minutes. Patty is on Twitter at Patty A. Jones for talk about music acts that wear skinny jeans and at New York Owls for Wednesday grousing. Patty, how quickly can you drink an 8.5% <laughs> IPA? Uh, we'll say a pint. First of all, I'm so glad you'd ask me the same question as James, uh, but I can confidently state I could probably drink uh, that kind of beer faster than James can run an eight, a 5K. Hey nice. Paddy, let's let's try that out on a beer tour in Queens tomorrow. I'll bring my I'll bring my sneakers. You bring the beer. <laughs> it's a date. So one of the most embarrassing moments of my life was I worked at a recreation center that put on a five k, and I was supposed to be the lead bike, the bike that you know, well, exactly like I said, the lead bike. Is that like a followed. village hall lead bike? No, <laughs> not quite. Um, but as the lead bike, I'm supposed to lead the path and, you know, the leader is supposed to follow me in the pack behind. Um, I actually got beat by two people, uh, <laughs> as the lead bike. And that's not a joke. I, my bike kind of broke halfway through and I had to pedal hard and I couldn't shift out of like whatever the second gear was. So you pedal real, real fast, but the bike doesn't go that quickly. Uh, that was me for a 5k and I got beaten. So embarrassing <laughs> for me, but. Anyway, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro, and we will see here you here back next week. Smooth. Fucking smooth. <laughs>